Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear David Montgomery. Oh, you're going to love him. He's so sweet. He's such a good guy. And I'm like, I know that already from my imagination, you fucking idiots. Come on. That and more. But before that, I wanted to let you guys know about one of the most exciting things we've ever offered from our school, thestorystudio.org. Our online course called Intro to Storytelling, Wow Your Crowd. And you can find it at udemy.com. That's U-D-E-M-Y dot com. Intro to Storytelling, Wow Your Crowd, includes three hours of my lectures and frequently asked questions about oral storytelling and downloadable handouts that you can workshop your stories through. There's also annotated stories that have been featured on Risk, where I talk specifically about what the storyteller is doing right here and what they're doing right there. You'll learn just what to do when you notice listeners losing interest or sense that you might be about to veer off track. You'll identify the most affecting and fascinating moments you've lived through. You'll learn how to maintain suspense, build an emotionally resonant arc, add dimension to your characters, and you'll become more empowered from sharing your experience. You can watch the lectures, work the worksheets, Watch the stories in your own time, at your own pace. It's all at udemy.com. That's U-D-E-M-Y dot com. And the class is called Intro to Storytelling, Wow Your Crowd. Also, you know that feeling you get when you can get things done with the click of a button? 
Can't get more convenient. And now you can get your mailing and shipping done without leaving your desk thanks to Stamps.com. Stamps.com turns your PC or Mac into your own personal post office that never closes. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your computer and printer. Then just hand your mail to the mailman or drop it in the mail box. Or mail lady. You'll never need to go to the post office again. We use stamps.com at risk and the story studio, and we love it. And right now you can use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a no risk trial plus $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Fort Romeo behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Live from New York. We thought it would be fun to just give an uninterrupted portion of last month's live New York Risk show so you can kind of hear what it's like to be there in the audience, you know, with my hosting in between and all. We're going to start with a good friend of the show who, uh, keep in mind, was having a whole lot of drama the day he shared this story with his excretory system. Uh, There was so much going on in the bathroom of the uh, theater backstage the night that David unloaded this story as well as so very much else. He is the host of the hilarious podcast, Two Gays, No Girls at a Pizza Place on iTunes and Stitcher. And here he is now with a story we call L.A. Fitness Confidential. Um, so aging is hard for everybody. It's arguably harder for women, uh, but what a lot of you might not know, it's hardest for gay men. Uh, you may or may not realize that when you're a gay man and you turn 30 years old, you earn an invisibility cloak to all the young gay guys at the bar. Suddenly they can't see you anymore. And this hit me really hard when I turned 30 because I like younger guys. Uh, so that made it really hard, but I found myself devoid of any pleasure at all anymore. So I said, huh, if nobody can see me, I may as well just eat everything in sight to find some kind of comfort in this life. And I went on a fucking food bender. I went on a food bender. I sunk into a year-long depression. 
And before I know it, I'm like, oh God, I had gained nearly 40 pounds. Yeah, and I turned 31 the following year and I look at my life and I look at my man boobs and I look at the fact that I haven't had a good date in about a year and I said, I've got to change something. So I joined a gym for the first time in my life. This is the beginning of the story right now that I want to one day tell my grandchildren is that I joined a gym and I saw this man working there, but not just any man, this beautiful tan Filipino Adonis who was so muscular he was wider than he was tall and that's that's not an affront to his Filipino race it's just to say that he was very wide with muscle he was so perfect he's everything I have ever wanted in a man he's got this gorgeous kind face he's got these gigantic muscles and he has a butt that would make any straight man gay like Kevin would have had a fucking field day with this guy But so I am completely obsessed with this guy from the second that I see him and I don't know what to do and my sense of wonder starts to kick in. And I think to myself, who is this guy? Does he like 30 Rock? Does he like the name Joni Mitchell for our adopted child? Gender irrelevant. I don't know, but I gotta find out. And then I realized just how grounded my actual sense of wonder is. And so I say to myself, I can't have him. I know it. But what I can do is post my adorable musings on Facebook 24-7 about every time I crossed paths with my gym husband. (laughs) And I would write things like, March 28th, I saw my gym husband today. He spoke to me. He asked me if I was done with the treadmill. Do you think he'll pop the question soon? (laughs) April 2nd, my gym husband, or G-hubs for short, He spoke to me again, and then he nodded at me while I got a drink of water. I want our wedding to be a sailor theme, and I want all of my bridesmaids to wear little sailor hats. April 8th, he spoke to me again. He was working out with a gigantic old fat woman. She giggled at something that he said, and I almost pummeled her. Hashtag, I am pregnant to him. Hashtag, you ancient bitch. So... I'm trying to move on from this, but I feel like I'm in fucking middle school all over again. Like I'm that tiny little closeted gay kid who can't tell his crush that he likes him because he'll punch him in the face and ruin his social life. I feel so small. I feel like everything is so out of reach and I don't know how to handle this. Um, So I'm looking into things and I realize, wait a second. Now I'm having middle school feelings from the perspective of an adult this is actually gonna work in my favor. I've got experience now and I've got a more complex sense of wonder. Could this guy possibly have 1% of Kinsey scale homo inside of him? (laughs) Of course he could. And who is gonna bring it out of him but David fucking Montgomery. I am so good at this. I have a thousand variable formula on how to get with a straight guy. It is unbelievable. I have a very highly successful track record behind me as well with this to back it up. And some of the variables like uh, the number of mutual friends and acquaintances you have the comfort level and trust that they have with you the amount of alcohol in his body at any point in time (laughs) but if any of the variables in this whole thing is against your favor fuck it you're done but there's hope for me at this point in the story so I'm really excited now what I didn't know when you join LA Fitness if you've never worked out there before they have a scare tactic when you first join Uh, they try to sell you on a very expensive personal training package and I make no money so I was like this is pointless but I didn't know that that's what they were doing at first I go in and they said oh today's your personal fitness assessment and I said oh well that sounds perfectly innocent sure let's do this and essentially what they do for 45 minutes they kick the living shit out of you and then they get the whole staff to come and point and laugh at you and say you don't know what you're doing you need a trainer and I did the, the girl whose job it was to like humiliate and intimidate me this particular day 
she literally said to me at the end of the session, and I did okay, but she looks and goes, so like, what's your plan? And I go, I, I joined a gym, that's my plan. No, like, what's your plan like, to lose your man boobs? And I'm like, <laughs> I was shocked, and I was hurt, and I was tiny little bit offended, and I was like, I don't know. Um, I guess I'll do cardio and diet, and then, I don't know, if I ever get skinny, I'll try to lift some of the heavy things on that side of the gym. <laughs> And she looked at me and she said, your workout plan is whack. And I go, so is your outdated urban slang, you fucking idiot. <laughs> so needless to say, I did not buy the personal training package for a number of reasons. But uh, whack or not whack, my, my whack workout plan worked. And I lost, in the first two months, I lost every single one of the pounds I had gained. I lost 37 pounds in all and I felt so fucking good about myself. At this point, having lost all of the weight, more important than that, I think, was the fact that I found this unattainable strength inside me, and I found this unattainable confidence inside me. Maybe now I could have this unattainable Filipino man inside of me. <laughs> I don't know. But I decide, I decide that it's worth a shot, so I move forward with my plan. Now, the idea that I had already lost the weight, now I have a new fitness goal. I wanna gain some muscle, and I have no fucking clue how to do that. So I need a personal trainer. I have not mentioned yet this man is a personal trainer. That's why he's working out with that old fat lady. Um, he's a personal trainer. Now he's so much more unattainable than he was. Not only is he severely out of my league and obviously heterosexual, now he's also very expensive. <laughs> I don't make any money. I'm always just a whisper away from homelessness. So I decided, I decided if I was gonna make this work financially, it would have to be him as my trainer. It could be no other idiot there. It had to be my gym husband. And I did it, I cut corners, I, I did everything I could, I'm clipping coupons, and it wasn't that hard. I took on a fifth job, <laughs> and I got rid of uh, cable and water and electricity in my apartment, and suddenly voila, I have all this extra money floating around. And. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't actually homeless. But uh, no, so I make this work, and now is the acting challenge of a lifetime for me to approach this man and not come across as the creepiest, gayest person in the world saying like, I need you. And I'm psyching myself up every day, and I'm thinking to myself, God, this is gonna be like Mrs. Doubtfire magnitude fooling of the people. This is gonna be huge. This is gonna be like Rachel Dolezal style fooling of the people. I'm gonna pull the wool over his eyes so hard. And I psych myself up every day. I see him the same time every morning, and every day I make up some flimsy excuse when he approaches me why I can't talk to him. Oh, it's just that I'm so thirsty today. I couldn't possibly talk to him. Oh, no. If I talk to him today, then I won't have those 45 minutes to procrastinate before work. <laughs> Fuck. What am I going to do? But one day it actually happens without me even trying. He's walking toward me, and I'm walking toward him, and I feel the words coming out of my mouth without me even trying to say them. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, here we go. Hey, bro. <laughs> Never said it before in my life. Hey, bro, and he's like, yeah, what's up? And I was like, in, in my pink tank top at the time. I was like, yeah, so um, I, I need a trainer and I pretty much won't be satisfied if it's not you, no homo. <laughs> yes, homo, huge, huge homo. And it fucking worked. He pretty much said, cool, bro, back to me. And mission fucking accomplished. I felt so huge. I thought I was going to walk out and someone would open an envelope and say, and the Oscar goes to David Montgomery for LA Fitness Confidential. Woo! I want to thank the Academy. But so now we start working together. And 
I have to really put the gay away. I really got to actually learn something because that, that's the foremost goal of this whole thing. So I go in and the very first day at the end of our session, he hands me a piece of paper with his phone number on it and he tells me that I'm stronger than I look. So both of those things required me to change my underwear. And after I did that, <laughs> I look at the piece of paper that he handed me. It has his first and last name on it. Obviously inviting me to look him up on Facebook, guys. Come on. So I look him up, and I'm fucking terrified to find that we have no less than eight mutual friends, all of whom have liked and commented on my gym husband's statuses. Now, remember that thousand variable formula? Yeah. This puts a pin in things pretty, pretty bad. So I'm freaking out, and I don't know if they can make that connection yet or not. So I get a hold of one of the people, and I tell her who it is, and she goes, oh, my God, Dave, that's your gym husband? That's the guy that you're always talking about? Oh, you're going to love him. He's so sweet. He's such a good guy. And I'm like, I know that already from my imagination, you fucking idiot. Come on. But so my... My formula tells me I have to strategize. I cannot add him on Facebook. I don't know what sort of crazy paranoid thoughts might go through his head. If he and I should kiss, he might freak out and go, oh, we have mutual friends. What if he calls me his gym husband on Facebook or something like that? I'm not in his head. I don't know how he thinks. So I deleted all the references to gym husband on my Facebook. I felt like I had to. So I'm moving forward. And things are going so good. They're going so fucking good. Like, I'm learning so much. I'm feeling great. I'm looking great. The under 30s at the gay bar, they can see me all of a sudden. It was great. I felt so great about it. And the best part is he is exactly how I wanted him to be. He's really sweet. He's really smart. He's funny. He thinks I'm funny, which is my favorite quality in a person. <laughs> and things are just on this uphill trend for months and months and I'm, I'm overjoyed with all of these things I'm feeling and around the time of I don't know probably our six month imaginary anniversary I'm at work and I get a cold call from my gym and they say that my personal trainer is no longer employed with the company I know guys so I panic I freak out and I'm texting him I'm like what the fuck dude like what happened what, how am I going to feed our imaginary child what are we supposed to do and he tells me he was essentially fired without merit. His boss hated him and just picked and picked until he found a reason to get rid of him. And I said, how could they do this to us? What am I gonna tell little Joni Mitchell? He or she is too young to know what a divorce is and God damn it, he or she shouldn't have to know what a divorce is. This is ridiculous. But what am I gonna do but stand by my man? I leave work and I march into the gym. I'm trying to cancel my contract and I bitch out his supervisor. I'm like, listen, asshole, I need out of this contract. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, listen, dude, imagine like, let's say like you have a car and I go, okay, I'm listening. He goes, yeah, so like you have a car, right? And then like you don't like the car no more. So you're like, hey, uh, hey dealership, I don't want to pay for this car no more. And I was like, wow. Cool simile, bro. That's awesome. But uh, first off, it would only apply to this situation if you're in love with the car. <laughs> like, like in romantic love with the car. Like you want to have a baby with the car and then an idiot fires the car and tries to replace it with a broken unicycle because that's what your other trainers are to me, a bunch of fucking broken unicycles. He apologized for his very, very weak simile and he complimented me on my awesome metaphor. But he told me he could not bring back my husband, nor could he stop the payments from accruing. 
So I got to watch this relationship dissolve, a gym divorce, if you will. And so I'm looking at this and I, I sent him a text a few days later and said, hey, just as like a small token of thanks, um, could I treat you to happy hour on Friday for everything you've shown me? And we both have iPhones, so I could see all the little status updates on, on our messages. And it says it was delivered, and then he said he read it, and then I see those little ellipses he's typing, and I'm like, I'm giddy, I'm freaking out, nervously, anxiously awaiting my fate, and then the ellipses disappear, and he never writes me back. Thank you. All kidding aside, that fucking hurt. I know how ridiculous it is. My brain knows that he is straight, but as corny as it sounds, my heart would not hear it. It was absurd. So I, I'm really hurt over this whole situation, and I, I thought, I don't know, maybe he wrote something really nice and forgot to click send, I lied to myself. Maybe he was gonna show up at the bar unannounced and just bench press me in front of everybody. <laughs> But no, he didn't. That was the end. And I imagined myself running into him on the street unexpectedly. And I would probably fly off the handle like a 1940s dramatic stage actress, just like, is that all our love was to you? Just a business transaction? I get it. I've paid my whore. Goodbye forever. And then I faint onto a random couch. But I did run into him a few months later. I was doing a show. I was doing a show, and my friends wanted to have drinks beforehand. So we go in. And the fucking maitre d' of the restaurant is my ex-gym husband. Hey, David, what's going on? Oh, God. Smile, don't cry. Say something, David. Hey, I'm good. How are you? Can't complain. Boy, you look great. I can see you're still hitting the gym pretty hard. Good for you. Thank you so much. You fucking cock tease. How dare he? It didn't mess with my head as much as I thought it was. But looking back on the whole thing, would I do it over again? This emotional roller coaster that tore me a new one? Yeah, I would. I would probably do it. Every, every rep, every set, every payment, maybe not every payment, but no matter what your sense of wonder, if you are crushing on somebody big time, no matter how great they would look holding your adopted twin black babies in their incredible Hulk arms, don't ever spend $3,000 for 36 sessions of their undivided attention. Hindsight's always 2020, but to me, that behavior is filled with a lot more delusion than it is wonder. I'm David Montgomery. Thank you so much. David Montgomery! Uh, the last time that I was a member of a gym is connected to another story I've told on Risk before. Um, you might remember one where I borrow a lot of a friend's urine to, uh, <laughs> to fake a drug test. Since then, I've borrowed a friend's urine for all kinds of reasons, but back then it was just a drug test, and it was to get this desk job, right? This nine-to-five job, those sorts of things I am so, so, so not suited for. <laughs> And it was only paying like $20,000 a year. It was, it, it, and also it was a kind of work where my boss was, couldn't really easily track how much we were getting done or not. And he was afraid of the woman who sat next to me, so he never came up to our office to see if we were even still there. So I decided I'm gonna join a gym. 
I'm going to come in in the morning, say, hello, Steven, to my boss, head upstairs, sit around a little bit, and then head to my new gym. Now, my new gym was a very old and kind of skeezy gym. It was in a very low-rent uh, part of town. And what I learned is you'd be surprised who you can give a hand job to in the bathroom. It was... It was only like my second day there or so, and there's this like very, very like, you know, muscly Latino guy who looks kind of thuggish and everything, but he really was leaving his Johnson out in a very visible way at the urinal for a long time. And so I was like, um... It was incredibly risky because anyone could have walked in, right? But when it was finished, it was very gratifying for him and it was fun for me. So I, you know, uh, washed my hands and I head out and I'm heading out the door of the gym and I get a phone call. It was the time of the little flip phones, right? I get a phone call before I'm even out the door and it says, the woman says, hi, is this Kevin Allison? I'm calling from the Board of Health. She says, um, I can't say this person's name, but uh, this person had an intimate encounter with you and would like you to know that you might have chlamydia. <laughs> I thought, my God, was that guy that quick? With <laughs> Let's get on with the Board of Health before he gets out of here. Uh, I went in to get tested. I did not have chlamydia, but, uh, and so had no regrets about my bathroom hand job. All right. <laughs> <Our next. laughs> Some of my favorite stories are the ones I had no idea I was going to tell that night. Um, okay, our next storyteller, this is her first time telling a story on stage, so please be super warm and supportive. This is Spring. I love dating apps. I have an account with every single one, including Grindr. Um, <laughs> though most of the guys don't want to meet up with me once they find out I don't have a cock. So this story is about the first boy I met on Tinder. And he was chatting with me and he told me that he was a nurse, which I thought was super hot. So I was like, yeah, cool, let's do this. So we go out. And I find out very quickly that he has quite a lot of baggage that goes along with this profession of his. And he is hyper-masculine to the point of scariness to try to disprove anything that you might think about a male nurse. So he rides a motorcycle, he competes in CrossFit competitions. While we're together, he grows a beard so large that I could lose my vagina in it. <laughs> so we go on vacation to Bali at one point, and his worst fear is realized. We're in the back of the taxi, and the taxi driver says to us, so, what do you guys do back home? The nurse says what he does, and I say, oh, yeah, I'm a doctor in sexual health. The nurse is quick to point out, I'm just a PhD, I'm not a real doctor. But the taxi driver loves it. He laughs and laughs and laughs. And it is the nurse's just, he's horrified, he's sitting there scowling. It's now the worst vacation of our life. But there were benefits to dating him as well. So if I spent the whole night drinking and woke up feeling very terrible, he could administer an IV to me and make me feel much better. 
He kept those bags in the closet constantly. Um, if I ran out of birth control and it was a long weekend, he could go to work, get a doctor to write a new script, and come home with pills. Um, so these were very convenient for me. And looking back, I think maybe he just really wanted to shut me up about my hangovers and keep fucking me without a condom, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> As in most things in your life, when one thing's going really well, another area starts to kind of not feel as great. So we had been dating about nine months, and I decided, you know, I think I need to make the next step in my career. I need to kind of push this along. So I apply for a job in an international location, and I get the interview. And I am so excited. And so they send me the time of the interview. It's a Skype interview, uh, which was a super convenient time for me internationally. It was midnight. And uh, so the night of the interview, the nurse and I go out, we have dinner, we go to a movie, we get back, and it's still only just after 11, so we have a bit of time to kill. So we start fooling around a bit, and I say, wait a minute, let me set an alarm. I'm going to set the alarm for 11.50, and I figure that's enough time for him to pull his dick out of me and me to walk over and sign into Skype, right? So we start playing around a little bit more, and we start having sex. He's inside me, it's feeling good, and he's like, do you want me to uh, get a vibrator from under the bed? And I'm like, yes, yes I do. So he grabs a vibrator out, four inches, hot pink, full of vibrating action. It is my favorite toy. And I'm like, good choice. So he starts teasing my asshole with it. He starts putting it in a little, and then he's holding it in there while we're having sex. And the sex gets really hot. Like, so hot that you lose all space, place, body, like everything. And then the alarm's going off. It's 11.50. I'm like, <laughs> he pulls out. And I'm like, cool, get the vibrator. And he looks and he goes, no, 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 it's not in there. And I'm like, I can feel it. So it's inside me. Can you get it out? And he looks again and he says no. And I say, yes, put your finger in and find the vibrator. So he puts his finger in my ass, puts it in a little further, and then he looks up at me with these horrified eyes that can only mean the vibrator has been sucked up past your sphincter and it is now very deep inside of you. And I look at him and my eyes say, what the fuck do we do now? He suggests I text my best gay friends and ask them if they have any poppers. So you know what poppers are good. So, <laughs> so I group chat my, I guess, my best gay friends, and I'm like, cool, guys, uh, any poppers? Can we uh, hurry this along? We have an emergency over here. No one replies. I go through a call list. I'm calling each one, one by one. No one's answering. And I'm like, 11.57, uh, going to do this interview. <laughs> so I walk over to my computer very gingerly, and I sit down, naked, vibrating, open it up, sign into Skype, turn off my camera, just to be clear, and <laughs> sign in and call. The nurse, ever the caretaker, comes over with a large mug full of boxed wine, tells me, drink this. I'm not one to ignore medical advice, so I start drinking. And let me just be clear at this point, it feels like there is a constant earthquake in the pit of my soul, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, yeah, I can do this, I can do this, it's gonna be fine. 
and my only goals are to get through the interview as quickly as possible and to speak as loudly as possible so that they don't hear the vibrations <laughs> happening in the background. So they start asking questions, and I think all of my answers must have sounded something like, <laughs> so I start to get a little drunk, and I start to find a little comedy in this. I'm like, I'm interviewing for a sexual health position while I'm naked and I'm vibrating. But I don't like it so much that I don't want it to be over. So 45 minutes from when this interview began, it finishes. And I don't know if I even click the red button before I turn to the door and I'm like, now get this fucking vibrator out of me. First, give him a little credit. Uh, he's been brainstorming while I was on the interview and he has ideas. <laughs> First idea, he's like, we need to get you to poop. And I'm like, you know I only poop after I have coffee in the morning. And he's like, I made some coffee. How sweet, right? So I go over, I chug three large cups of coffee, and then I go sit on the toilet with a nurse hovering over me with eager eyes. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think this is gonna happen. Do we have another idea? And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we just need to get you to really relax, like all your muscles. Uh, so he runs a bath, and I love baths. So I get in, I'm sitting there soaking, don't feel that relaxed. <laughs> and I say to him, so worst case scenario, like what do you think might happen? Like what do you think? And he's like, well, you know, we're probably gonna tear something trying to get it out and then like you're gonna ship blood for the next couple months and like it'll have to heal. And I'm like, uh, do you think maybe we should go to the hospital now? Like it's been in there a long time. Like maybe we should go there and ask them to get it out. And he looks at me and very sternly says, we are not going to the hospital because we are not going to be the story that all my friends go home telling tonight. <laughs> Thanks. So <laughs> I am now very tense, this relaxing thing not happening. Uh, so we move on to the next idea, which is at-home water delivery birth type situation. <laughs> Except instead of the baby and the vagina, it's the ass and the vibrator. So I am squatting in the front of the tub and he is squatting behind me. And he is reaching two fingers in, trying to just barely grasp the end of the vibrator. And after about half an hour, he gets his fingers around the edge of the vibrator. And he goes, I've got it, I've got the end. And I go, oh! and he goes, fuck you, I just pressed it further up. <laughs> so I'm not supposed to move now also, now I know that, cool. Uh, so he tries again. And let me be clear that we are doing this without lube because we don't need any more slippery situation. So this is very uncomfortable at this point. So he keeps doing this and he will dig around for as long as he can before he thinks I might kill him because I'm so mad. And so he does this over and over and over. Another hour later, he just collapses with his arms around me and he goes, oh God, I am so sorry. And I immediately look down in the water for the blood that surely signifies he has torn something and now we get to go to the hospital. Um, but I don't see any blood. All I see is four inches of hot pink, amazing vibrating action that is now my not so favorite toy. <laughs> and I realize that he is saying sorry for this whole situation instead of tearing something, thank God. And so I sob and I'm just so relieved and just so exhausted. 
and he wraps the towel around me, picks me up out of the bathtub, carries me into the bed, and he falls asleep right away. I mean, he's had a really hard night. Like, this has been really, really difficult for him. Um, me? I just chug three cups of coffee, and my ass feels like it just taped Amy does anal like one, two, three, and four. So I'm not going to sleep. But I start to make a list of things I need to do the next day, like as you do when you can't sleep. Um, so I've got make new gay best friends that stay up past midnight, <laughs> buy a vibrator with a flared base that's made for anal play. That's all I got. And I'm lying there waiting for the light of day, and I start to wonder. How the fuck did that interview go? I don't have to wait long to find out. I get an email and uh, they tell me that they want to fly me across the world and do an in-person interview. Cool, right? Obviously, I'm good at this. So I fly across the world. I go do the interview this time without a vibrator in my ass. Though I did have Skype sex with the nurse before going in. Um, and I came home from this interview with a job offer. I was so excited. I go home and I go to the nurse and I tell him, I think this is it. Like, this is the next step. Like, this is what my career needs to be. Like, this, I need to do this. Like, we've been together almost a year now. Like, this is it. Like, it's all happening. I'm super excited. I go, I want you to move 10,000 miles. I want you to move across the world with me. I want you to move to New York City. He looks at me with that same horrified gaze as when he lost a vibrator deep in my ass. And he says, why would I move across the world with you? We're not even dating. I feel like I've been punched in the stomach. I know that's a cliche, but that's what I felt like. And my mind flashes back to Christmas at his parents' house, shared invitations to parties, uh, our vacation in Bali, our weekends away, uh, the shared Google Calendar where I get updates about every one of his schedule changes at work so I can plan my life around his schedule. And I cry. I cry for days. And then I do the only thing I can do. I say yes. I say yes to the job. I say yes to moving across the world alone. And I say yes to removing all those little things that are standing in the way of my true path, like the nurse, that other little pain in my ass. That was spring. I hadn't heard that ending of the story yet, so that was uh, a shocker for me as well. Actually, uh, a few months ago, I, I gave up uh, three, three different drugs, and uh, they were alcohol, pot, and poppers. Um, if you don't know what poppers are, there's, they're those little brown bottles that you see in sex stores. They're filled with a liquid that's either amyl nitrates or nitrites, or whatever the fuck, right? It, it might be it might be like hand polish or nail polish remover or jet fuel in those things, right? The FDA doesn't look at what they are or what they do. So the rumor is that they uh, loosen up your your sphincter, right, for uh, easier sex. But after t almost twenty five years of doing those things, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> 
<laughs> because what they really do is you sniff it and then you're just like, do the fuck anything to me. <laughs> you just get so suddenly horny for about 40 seconds. Uh, you know, also, the, 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 the way that they, you don't know what's in the bottle, and you don't know if they've been sitting in the sunshine or whatever, so sometimes, sometimes they would explode. I once went to a peep booth down on Christopher Street. In my 20s, I would go to the peep booths all the time because they had these magical little peep booths where you put quarters in the thing and a curtain goes up and you can see the guy next to you through a clear window because I guess it, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's illegal to officially be having sex in public. Um, so I, I go there once and, and the curtain on this particular window was especially shoddy. It was just going... And as it's coming up, I'm seeing, oh my gosh, this guy has an amazing body. And it's going... And it finally makes it all the way up, and he's gorgeous. He's an Adonis. He's, he's another Latino guy, a lot like my friend in the gym. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm going to put more quarters in and keep this, this curtain up. So he looks like he's like, all right, I got this guy. And... <laughs> And I'm like, oh my God, I've got this guy. So I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've grabbed my poppers out, a fresh new bottle, hadn't been opened, the seal was not broken. I go like this right up to my nose and it goes, <laughs> this stuff goes all the way up my nostrils into my brain. And I literally just had like an epileptic fit. What, what he saw was just, I'm pressing the button to bring the curtain down and of course it's just going <laughs> so be careful about those poppers folks alright our next storyteller he is working on a piece he has done fabulous solo shows before and he's currently working on one about children's rights it's going to be uh, premiering in the fall at the United Solo Fest Please welcome the stage, Julian Goldhagen. Hello, everybody. I love that we're talking so much about poppers. I literally bought some poppers earlier today. They're in my bag in the dressing room. So anyone wants to play later, um, I'm down. Uh, so, when I was in high school, the thing that I wanted more than anything in the entire world was a boyfriend. But I was a scrawny 15-year-old gay child in suburban North Florida, so there were not like a ton of options for me out there. So I was like incredibly, incredibly lonely and very virginal, and I would like watch all of my other friends that were straight like date and flirt and make out. And just think like, God, I wonder what that is like, you know? Like I thought there were so many experiences that I was missing out on and things that I could never learn about myself until I was finally in a relationship. 
So seven years later, <laughs> when I'm a 22-year-old senior in college and I get my first serious boyfriend, I am over the moon excited. And he's absolutely perfect. Um, his name is Dan. He is six foot four. He looks like a Calvin Klein model. Um, he's like a great listener and he's super, super compassionate. And his mother is a very famous 90s sitcom actor. Um, so he's like the total package. Um, <laughs> I'm like, how did I get so lucky this first time at bat? And so our relationship is great, and it's really, really wonderful, and I learned a ton of things with Dan. So it's April, towards the end of my senior year of college, and I'm walking up Broadway towards Union Square to meet Dan after my last class of the day. And I'm like singing in my brain, everything's beautiful in that way that it kind of only is if your parents are paying your rent. And, you know. Um, so I get to the park and I see Dan sitting on a bench and I go over and I give him a kiss and we start talking and I sit down next to him. And as we're chatting, uh, he pulls out this like, very fancy bar of chocolate and offers me a piece. And I'm like, amazing, this relationship like, just keeps getting better. Um, <laughs> so I like, take a bite of chocolate and I eat it. It's really good. And I'm like, Dan, this is amazing chocolate. Like, where did you get it? And he tells me that he stole it from Whole Foods right before we met. And this is weird to me because I've like never even really thought about um, shoplifting up until this point in my life. Like I'm a very obedient person. I never had to like shoplift, thankfully, out of like necessity to survive. It wasn't the way I rebelled against my parents. So I was like really kind of caught off guard by this, but Dan is perfect and he made shoplifting seem super normal. So I was like kind of down um, and I didn't think much of it and I kind of adopted the habit. And it like became the new normal of our relationship. You know, we would like meet up, we'd go to the grocery store to get some food for dinner, like spend 20 bucks on groceries, and then like grab a carton of ice cream or a thing of tempeh or whatever, and like throw it in our canvas bags and walk out with it. Totally normal, like never even had a second thought about it. So Dan and I um, continue dating for a while, like the months go by, our relationship gets deeper, I'm learning all these things, I'm having consistent sex with somebody, it's like absolutely amazing, and suddenly it's January, we've been together for about eight months, and Dan is about to meet my parents for the first time, which I'm really excited about, another big step. Um, they come in town because I'm doing this solo performance piece, it's like the first thing I do after I graduate from college, super exciting, very avant-garde, I chop off all my hair on stage, um, like feeling great about myself. And the meeting with Dan, the parents goes well, and so we like go back to my place after Dan and I spend the night. And the next morning, we wake up like ready to celebrate. You know, I just had this big milestone. He met my parents. Like, let's do something festive together. Let's make a very special breakfast, right? Like, what else do gay people do? We make breakfast. Um, <laughs> fancy, fancy. So I'm like, oh, but you know what? I, I need a couple things from the grocery store. Let's go and get some food. So we put on like the least amount of clothes possible and we um, you know, walk out of my windowless Bushwick apartment to this big, giant, disgusting grocery store down the street um, to pick up a couple things. So I like grab a thing of yogurt and a little carton of coffee and we're like going down to the registers to check out and leave. And as soon as we get there, there's like 15 registers at the front and they're all empty except for the last two right by the doors. Um, and so the line is super long with people because everyone has to go to those only two. And Dan and I are like, fuck this. We have two things in our bag. Like, the line is so long. It doesn't make any sense to purchase these items. Yeah, thank you, shoplifter. <laughs> uh, it doesn't make any sense to purchase these items. Let's just, like, 
swipe them, right? No big deal. Um, so we kind of like go to the far end, like the last empty register on this end furthest from the door, and we just like walk through the lane and then begin to walk down the front aisle of the store towards these double doors. We're walking, we're like, you know, in love, looking at the plants, talking about the breakfast we're gonna make. Um, like, no big deal at all until the moment before I get to these double doors when I feel this enormous hand come down on my right shoulder. And I turn around and my blood turns into thumbtacks because there is this enormous security guard who is now putting his other hand on my left shoulder and is picking me up by my shirt and dragging me back down this front aisle of the grocery store towards this like little grocery store office on the other end. And while he's doing it, he's screaming like, what's in your bag, what's in your bag, what's in your bag? And I'm this like obedient little twink and I don't know how to say or do anything. I'm just kind of like limply following him to this office. until he like throws me inside and grabs my back and shuts the door. So I'm sitting in this office. I am totally, completely alone, except for this like grocery store employee who was on a computer doing something totally unrelated. <laughs> and I'm just like waiting to see what happens next. And a couple minutes go by and the security card comes back in and he has the manager with him now and he is so pissed and the manager is so pissed and the security guard is screaming like, he stole this um, coffee and he stole this sour cream and the manager has a piece of paper and he's like, coffee, sour cream. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, what's going on? Also it was Greek yogurt, it was not sour cream, but like, I don't know if that's important. Um, and so then the manager hands me this piece of paper and he's like, sign this saying that you shoplifted. And I still haven't really said anything. I haven't really moved. I'm like in those like nature shows when a lion catches a gazelle and the gazelle just freezes because it knows it's going to die. That's what I'm doing. And he tells me to sign the piece of paper and I say the only thing that pops into my mind that would even be a relevant thing to say, which is that I'm not going to sign anything unless I have a lawyer present. <laughs> which was a really stupid thing to say because firstly, I don't even know what that means. And... And it just makes the manager even more angry. And so he says, that's okay, I'm calling the cops. And five minutes later, there are these two police officers who are also in the office with me. They're also really pissed. I don't know why everyone's so angry. And they're putting me in handcuffs and they pick me up again by my shirt and are dragging me out of the office back down this front aisle towards the double doors. And now, of course, all of these like previously empty checkout counters are now full of people that all want to see what the fuck's going on because there's all this commotion. And I'm just like weeping as this police officer pulls me outside and into the parking lot. So in the parking lot, there's again a crowd of people seeing what's going on. And there is Dan, who is like looking beautiful and completely useless. And he's just like running around being like, what's going on? What's going on? And so I kind of shout to him to call my parents, because remember, my parents are still in town because they saw my show the night before. That's great. And the police officers throw me in the back of their car. They drive me to the police station, and then they like lock me in a holding cell, which I used to call prison, but that's not prison. <laughs> it's just a holding cell. Um, so it's like 10.30 in the morning on a Tuesday. I just graduated from college, and I'm alone in this holding cell at this police station in Bushwick. And I'm wearing 
a pair of sweatpants and a zip-up hoodie with nothing underneath it because I thought I was just going to the grocery store. Um, and I'm sitting on this like metal bench and I'm like the backs of my thighs and my ass starts to get really, really itchy because I'm sitting on this metal bench for like hours and hours and hours just like waiting for something to happen. I don't know what it is. So a few hours go by, it feels like a day, and then another police officer comes into the holding cell, he puts me back in handcuffs, and he brings me to this other room in the police station. And there's all this equipment everywhere, and now I'm really like, what do they do to people who shoplift? <laughs> um, yikes. But he just picks up my hand, and he like rolls my fingers on this metal plate. And when he does that, there's a screen that's kind of at the top of the room, and I can see that like my little fingerprints are materializing on this screen. And I've never seen my fingerprints not on my fingers before. Um, so it's sort of a really strange place and it takes me back a little bit. And then he goes and he tells me to stand over by this little like line near a wall. And so I stand and he takes my mugshot. And then I see that the little fingerprints are disappearing. And now this picture of me is appearing on this television screen. I look really, really bad. <laughs> Um, first of all, I had just given myself blindly a haircut the night before and I hadn't like amended that at all So that was not working in my favor But also I just looked incredibly tired and incredibly sad and incredibly scared and like really 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 pathetic But more than anything, I just looked totally foreign to myself Like I just couldn't help but thinking like who is that person? Like I don't know who that person is But I know exactly how I got here which is that I stole some yogurt and some coffee from a grocery store, and I blindly accepted this horrible habit and this disgusting sense of entitlement from this person who I decided was perfect and could do no wrong. And so I went back into the cell and waited for a couple more hours until another police officer came inside and told me that I could go because I didn't have any previous criminal record. And so I get home and I order Indian food for myself that night because I feel like I deserve it. Because <laughs> <And laughs> I don't know how to, else to celebrate this day. Um, but it just kind of gets shitty from there. Like the next month is really stressful and it's really embarrassing and awkward. And you know, on February 14th, that's just a couple weeks later, on February 14th at one o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from Dan telling me that he is breaking up with me. And then eight hours later, it is nine o'clock in the morning and I am sitting by myself in a courthouse in Brooklyn, waiting to go up in front of a judge and talk to him about what I did. So I'm alone again, sitting, this time I'm wearing underwear, <laughs> and I'm thinking about what's gonna happen to me when I stand up there, I'm thinking about what's going to happen to me afterwards, and all I feel is so incredibly guilty. Thank you. at NYU uh, in uh, around about 1990 or so uh, the state my sketch comedy group we were all very best friends we got our start there and we were all dirt poor 
I remember there was a store called Tower Records, uh, which was the place to uh, an enormous, enormous record store in uh, the East Village on Broadway. And I was in there one time and I was looking at this cassette tape of Miles Davis. And I noticed, you know, at that time they had these little like puffy white stickers that they would glue to things that had a, a serial number or something on it, a barcode on it, and that was supposed to buzz if you tried to get out of Tower Records with this thing. And I'm looking at this Miles Davis thing and I'm kind of noticing this wrapper is a little bit open. I, I could just kind of finagle the wrapper off and just leave it in the bin and put this cassette in my pocket and just walk out. So I did. <laughs> And I felt this great rush. I was like, oh my gosh, I am a big lover of music. I should really take advantage of this thing that I've discovered. Um, 78 cassette tapes I stole from Tower Records. I, I stole everything. I, I got so cocky toward the end that I was taking, like, I, I started to get into opera, so I was taking like, like, box sets of Wagner and uh, sometimes the ripping was ridiculous you could just hear me in a corner just going <laughs> there was one night that was especially romantic where everyone in the state said we realized oh my gosh we're all shoplifting now and so we said let's have a big romantic Italian dinner that we all throw together but everything has to be stolen so it was like, you know, it's like five o'clock in the afternoon at that time. And everyone went out and I said, I'll bring the music. So someone got some veal, someone got some wine, you know, rice, vegetables, all of it. We, we put together a spectacular meal. And it only occurs to me now how ironic the titles of the two albums I got were. It was The Talking Heads Remain in Light and The Pogues If I Should Fall from Grace with God. A much more appropriate Pogues album title for me would be Rum, Sodomy, and The Lash. But I did. I brought the music that night, and it was really wonderful. Well, I kind of got this idea in my head. Look, I'm doing this. I love doing this. I'm getting a lot of great music this way. Why don't I just do this until I get caught? Because how, how bad can that be, right? One day I walk in and they're installing cameras, these big cameras in globes all around the store. There's guys up on ladders install, and I'm like, oh, now they've got cameras that are gonna be looking at us. This may be the end. And that day, I literally, I was like, gosh, I have stolen so much music. I can't think what to get anymore. I was like, well, there is one album I'm kind of curious about in a really guilty pleasure way. So I took it, and sure enough, immediately, a guy comes up to me and grabs me, and I was like, Jesus Christ, I got caught stealing. Please hammer, don't hurt them. <laughs> By MC Hammer. So I still don't know what that album sounds like.
shuffle through the city on a 4th of July Had a firecracker waiting to blow Breaking like a rifle who was making his way to the cities of Mexico Lived in an apartment out on Avenue Way Had a tar on a corner of town Had myself a lover who was finer than gold But I've been broken, I've been busted up since Love don't play any games with me Anymore like she did before is all for this week's episode folks this is ryan adams behind me now and listen we have a lot of live shows coming up on the 23rd of july we are in new york and in los angeles in new york we're at the pit in la we are at the nerdist showroom on the 25th of july we are in reno nevada and i'm doing a storytelling workshop in person in reno on that day on the 25th you got to go to risk-show.com slash tour to get your tickets for the show or the workshop on august 21st we're in philadelphia on august 22nd we're in dc if you live in philly or dc and you'd like to be a part of one of those shows the theme for philadelphia is rattled the theme for dc is ludicrous Email me your story description at kevin at risk-show.com and I may put you in the show. On September 22nd, we are in Portland, also September 23rd. The themes are bewildered and furious. On September 24th, we're in Seattle again. The themes those nights again are bewildered and furious. We need Portland and we need Seattle pitches. Pitch me at Kevin at risk-show.com. All of our tour date information is always at risk-show.com slash tour. Remember, if you want to take a storytelling workshop, but you can't seem to make it to one of our in-person workshops, Go to Udemy.com, that's U-D-E-M-Y.com, and look for Intro to Storytelling, Wow Your Crowd, taught by me, Kevin Allison, through thestorystudio.org. And remember, Risk is a happy member of the Maximum Fun Network of Podcasts. If you'd like to contribute to what we do, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and become a member or make a one-time contribution, and be sure to earmark it for Risk. Risk is listener-supported, and it means a heck of a lot to us. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. A few months ago, I, I gave up uh, three, 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 three. Ah, 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 ah. Oh, I love it! Isn't that fun? Ah, 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 